You're listening to the Live, Love, Engage podcast. On today's show, we're going to be talking about some misconceptions when it comes to mental health and the challenges of running a startup. Stay tuned. I am Gloria Grace Rand, founder of The Love Method and author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Live, Love, Engage, how to stop doubting yourself and start being yourself. In this podcast, we share practical advice from a spiritual perspective on how to live fully, love deeply, and engage authentically so you can create a life and business with more impact, influence, and income. Welcome to Live, Love, Engage. Namaste and welcome to another edition of Live, Love, Engage, and I am Looking forward to our conversation today with Johnny Crowder, who was joining me from just a couple hundred miles away, I think, on the other side of the state where I live. So I want to welcome you, Johnny, to Live, Love, Engage, first off. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I will, I'm going to share with our audience today on YouTube and those of you listening on your favorite podcast platform um, a little bit about this young man. He is a... Uh, 29-year-old suicide and abuse survivor, but also a TEDx speaker, and the founder of Cope Notes, which is a text-based, text-based, if I can speak today, mental health platform, and armed with 10 years of treatment, psychology degree, and a decade of peer support through NAMI, which I had to learn, look up because I had heard of it, but I wasn't cur- sure what it stood for. It stands for the National Alliance in Mental Illness. Uh, Johnny's youthful vigor for mental health has impacted millions across the globe. And I've been following you for a little bit and, and your entrepreneurial journey. And, uh, and I actually did test out the Cope Notes for because I know you offer like a free free test drive, as it were, yeah. and I was, I was very impressed with it. So I thought um, we'd, we'd start off, well, actually, one thing I wanted to share, actually, with our audience before I dive in, it was one thing, again, when I was doing some research and, and actually trying to figure out what NAMI stood for, um, I found an interesting statistic in that one in five Americans live with a mental health condition, which was quite surprising. Now, of course, a serious thing, it's more like one in 20 Americans, but that's still a lot. And I know there's been a lot of talk of late, um, certainly with the pandemic and everything, that mental health is really starting to be much more talked about. And I think it's getting to be not quite as taboo as it may have been 10, 20, 30 years ago even. So um, I appreciate that you are doing something about this, you know, about helping people. So I thought we'd start off our discussion with just sharing a little bit about, you know, your story and and also then what led you to to found your company. Yeah. One thing I'll start with is um, one statistic that a lot of people aren't talking about is the lifetime mental health statistic. And actually one in two people will face mental illness in their lifetime. Um, so the one in five just means right now okay, someone gotcha. is dealing with that. But throughout their lifetime, literally every other person on the planet is going to face something like this. So it's much more widespread than people understand now. And I was 
one of those one in two. I was the one in two um, and, and still am. So I grew up with a number of different diagnoses and I had no idea what I was going through. I didn't start treatment until maybe 10 years after my symptoms started, which is actually the average in America. It takes roughly 10 years between onset of symptoms and care. So I'm kind of a walking statistic, I guess. Um, but I, when I was in treatment, I got really curious about what was going on in my brain and I wanted to learn more. So I started taking psychology classes and then went to school for psychology and started working in peer support and public advocacy. So pretty much my whole life has been about mental health. Just uh, for the first quarter century, I wasn't deciding that it would be about mental health. It just kind of happened to me. And now I'm making a conscious choice like, okay, my time and energy is going to be dedicated to um, improving my own mental health and that of other people. Yeah, I, I appreciate you you sharing that. And it makes sense now that I think about it. And I certainly have had been touched by that in my own life, in my own family. Uh, my mom suffered with depression. I think my, my brother did. My dad is an alcoholic. So all sorts of lovely things going on and in my family. And I, you know, for the most part, have been fairly good and have also had my own sets of challenges. So <laughs> it's, uh, it is really... It's so important for people to know that, uh, well, actually, let me ask you, I have an idea, but what would you think is, is what, what would you say is the most important thing that people ought to know about um, either mental health and let's just say mental health. What, what, what do you think is the most important thing people should know about? That's kind of tough. I would say probably it's either the one in two statistic. So like it is extremely common, but the other thing that comes to mind is the fact that like you can do something about it for, for years and years, I figured like, well, this is just my brain and I'm stuck with it. And um, if you start reading about neuroscience and uh, your brain's plasticity, its ability to form new neural pathways and learn new things, you start to recognize that like, well, yes, my brain may be wrestling with depression right now, but it doesn't always have to be that way. There are things I can do to equip my brain. So just, I guess the first is that it's really common. The second is that you're not stuck. I love that. That's exactly what I was thinking. So, <laughs> but, but I wanted to give you a chance to say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, you know, there's hope. It's, <laughs> you don't have to think that you're, you're stuck there. And in this sort of... Um, well, uh, sad, but maybe frustrating also to know that, you know, that the average is like it takes 10 years from from like the time symptoms oh. show up until, you know, you, you get help. And, and I guess that's because sometimes you are struggling with, you know, well, maybe this is just the way I am and, mm -hmm. you know, or, or what have you. So what do you think has been um, your biggest challenge that you've had, um, you know, in, in this journey of, that you, you know, journey called life. Let's just say that. What do you think has been the biggest one you've had to overcome? I mean, definitely illness. Mm -hmm. Like that's huge. Like my mental illness and also going through trauma therapy and stuff. Like a lot of that was really difficult, but I think maybe, I'm not sure if this is going to answer your question, but the angle that I'm going to answer it from is like, what kept me from making progress when facing those things? And I would say probably me judging myself 
for what I was going through. Like a big reason why I didn't do trauma therapy for so long was because I was like, uh, you know, I was abused and that makes me feel weak. And then I don't want to talk with someone about my weakness. And, you know, I really should have done something and maybe it was my fault. And there was a lot of self-judgment that only served to postpone the inevitable, which was if I'm going to get healthy, I actually need to participate in treatment. So uh, aside from all the out external hurdles that I face, like all these terrible things happening to me, I think um, I was letting a terrible thing happening happen to myself by standing in my own way and saying like, you know, if you were really tough, you wouldn't need therapy and you need to man up, you know, all of that kind of talk. I think that's that's what I was using to hold myself back. Yeah. Do you, do you think that is um, something that especially men in particular go through? Is that you know we've got to be tough and and that's how, and that's a lot of times it's how how you're raised is you know boys don't cry you know but it's okay for girls to do and and do you think that's also part of what you've gone through and and or do you have you seen that in other people as well? Yeah, that's, I know a lot of men who, like, I have a lot of friends who are guys who, like, will not talk to me about what they're going through. And every time I, you know, I'm on a call, like, with a, with a client of Cope Notes or something, or I'm on a partnership call, and it's usually all women and me. I'm, like, the only dude on this whole call. And it kind of illustrates to me, like, wow, um, put next to each other, it sure looks like women have maybe on the whole, and I don't want to generalize, but maybe on the whole have done a better job of being able to identify their emotions. And I know that a lot of men feel pressure to um, hide emotions for the sake of appearing strong. And I'm not saying that women don't deal with that. In fact, women deal with a very unique version of that, which is if you cry, you're emote, you're too emotional and you're, oh, you, you're not being logical. So there's a different, there's a different color of the exact same stigma that women go through as well. I think, I think men just have, it seems to me that on the whole, men have a more difficult time um, opening up about it for fear of it compromising um, their feeling of being strong or uh, their perception, the way they're perceived in the eyes of others. So what would you say to someone who, you know, maybe especially because I believe most of my audience are, are women out there. And let's say that they have a family member or a good friend who is a guy who seems to be going through some stuff and is struggling. What would you, um, what would your advice be to, to that woman to, to be able to help that person? Um, for me, something that really helps me think about it is this metaphor. Feel free to steal it. Um, this metaphor that it actually takes way more strength to fight the current than it does to go with it. So like, let's say depression is like flowing your canoe down this stream towards a waterfall. It takes no strength to sit there and let the water take you wherever it wants. It takes all the strength in the world to start pedaling against that current. That's what takes real strength. And I needed to think of it in those terms, like, wow, me going to therapy is actually a huge display of strength. And me allowing my depression to just carry me wherever it feels like carrying me, that's actually the weakness that I was trying to avoid. 
No, I like that. That that is a really good way of of framing it. So I appreciate that for you sharing. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your company and and what is its purpose and 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 you know why did you actually decide to start it? Well, I should probably start by saying I never set out to start a company. That was like not my dream. It just kind of happened. Um, But I always wanted to work in behavioral health. Like it was really important to me to contribute in that area. Um, But really what was going on was I was in treatment and let's say, you know, some therapy sessions were not great, but let's just say one day I do have a great session. And then let's say you're my therapist right now. We have a great hour together and I make lots of progress. Then I close my computer or I leave your office and I spend six, six days and 23 hours out in the world that was contributing to my pain and hardship in the first place. Right. And during those six days and 23 hours, you might say, oh, you should journal or you should go on a walk or you should listen to this meditation. But I you got to picture me when I was younger, uh, covered in tattoos, listening to death metal, bodybuilding, lifting super heavy weights. And I'm like, I'm not going to sit around and write in my diary. Are you kidding me? Like, no, I am too much of a man for this. I will power through until the next therapy session. And as a result, I would backslide because I didn't have that tiny nudge, that, that encouragement, something to keep me on track during the week. And I looked for it. I tried all the different mental health apps and all the different books and vitamins. And I was looking for anything. And um, Cope Notes was really, I, it was me inventing something that I was looking for, which is just a small intervention at a random time every day, just a couple sentences written by a peer with lived experience. So not some doctor wagging their finger saying like, this is what you should be doing. It's a real peer, someone just like me who's saying, here's what I wish someone would have said to me when I was going through it. So it could be a psychology fact or a journaling prompt an exercise, some type of like health education, positive psychology information that's easy to stomach. And the best part is that I don't have to remember to use it. So I'm going throughout my day I get a random text, I check my phone, and it's something that helps me stay on the right track. So I never have to make a conscious decision, oh, I need to log into some app or I need to set aside five minutes to do this activity. It's just, it happens to me. And over time, those interruptions actually train the brain to think in healthier patterns. So that's the coolest part is it like is teaching your brain to form new neural pathways associated with coping skills. I love that. And, and it really is important to have, it, it, it's like your own little mini uh, accountability coach, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on your phone to be able to just say, Oh, hello. Um, you know, in case you're needing a little update or, you know, or needing a little prompt today about, uh, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's and awesome. they're, and they're sometimes when I explain that to people, they're like, Oh, that sounds cool. And I just think, you know, have you ever in your life gotten a text from a friend at just the right moment or turn on the radio and you hear a song that's just what you needed to hear? You drive past a billboard or something like that. There are all these little things that make a huge impact. So don't underestimate the power of a text message. Like a life can be changed or saved with just a few sentences and we see it all the time. That's wonderful. So 
How has this journey into entrepreneurship been for you? Because you know, as you say, you didn't you didn't really plan it. And I know, yeah, you know, it's it's not for the faint of heart, <laughs> let's say. So how has it been for you? <laughs> no, it's funny. Like I, I have been through some really terrible stuff in my life, like very severe illness. I often downplay how severe my mental illness was, um, but it was debilitating. I couldn't I couldn't function. I wasn't like a, a contributing member of society for years. I couldn't touch people. I didn't touch my food. I couldn't touch doorknobs, couldn't step on cracks or walk downstairs. Like, I mean, I was, I was incapacitated by illness for decades. And I'm not saying this to be flippant. I mean it. Building a business is very comparable in terms of its difficulty to overcoming that illness. I and i would i would term a startup to be different from a business um like if you're opening a cupcake shop or something there's an established business plan that has been proven to work in the past you can kind of follow the steps startups are all unproven it's brand new technology that you're inventing so at any yeah. point some new problem could happen that that no one in the world has ever encountered before so i i will say that i this has been a crash course in adaptability and um, anti-fragility. So it, <laughs> it has really taught me a lot and continues to. It's been unimaginably difficult. I, I would have trouble believing that building a startup is this hard if I hadn't actually experienced it firsthand. And I'm trusting that it's been worthwhile at the same time. <laughs> oh, oh, there's nothing like it. No, anyone who has ever um, built something, written something, painted something, um, you know, written a piece of music or an article or a book or, or built a house or designed um, a room or something, that feeling of creating something from nothing is one of my favorite parts of being alive. Um, and I would definitely have quit long before now, if we hadn't seen like the real fruit of it, like people's lives tangibly changed from what we do. In fact, um, I have a cork board here that I bought that I haven't put this up yet, but I'm going to print out testimonials that people have sent to us and put on the cork board so I can see it in my room every day. Oh yeah. that's And that will come in handy on those days <laughs> where you're not feeling it, <laughs> you know, when <laughs> things are going wrong or, or what have you. Cause I know when I work with my clients, I always recommend that you keep those print out or have it in a journal or something and have those testimonials so that you can remember um, yeah. because inevitably doubts will come up and, and things will happen. So if you can remember, Oh yeah, this is working. This is, I, people are getting benefit out of it. So yep. I'm glad that you're going to do that. That's awesome. What, um, what has been um, either? Well, let's 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 put it this way. What's been maybe the um, either the hardest lesson you've had to learn specifically in like getting the startup going? What do you think has been? I think running a startup has been a lesson in identifying your sphere of influence and being very real about what you have control over and what you don't. Um, you could hire the perfect person for the role and that person's spouse could become pregnant. 
and it changes everything. Mm-hmm. Or that person has to move or that person, you know, gets a call from a family member saying that like, there's so little control you have over, over the grand scheme that you really have to focus on like, um, am I making the right decisions? And beyond that, it's very difficult not to become married to outcomes. Like when you start a business, I think in your mind, you become married to the outcome that you will be successful and that's great. But you also have to, um, when these things happen, you have to remember that you don't have control and it's very difficult not to take these things personally, but um, I'm actively working literally right now I am working, one of my focus areas is not taking these big shifts in business personally. If a contract expires or a certification doesn't go through or something, it's like, dude, do your best not to make it about you and defeat yourself over something that you could do nothing about and had nothing to do with you in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good lesson to learn. Um, If you haven't, haven't read, have you ever read the book, The Four Agreements? I sure have. Okay, yeah, because I know that's one of the things they talk about. Is that don't, I need to don't take it, anything though. personally. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, really. You know what? I actually have it back here, and I'm going to oh, reread yeah. it just because you brought it up. <laughs> I need to. All right, good, cool. Um, okay, what was I going to ask you? Oh, now I just lost my train of thought, but it'll come back to me. So let me think. Oh, I know. Um, okay, so as part of uh, you know the entrepreneurial journey, it comes to a point. You know, certainly when you start a business at some point, you're going to have to start hiring people. So it sounds like you have been doing that. So mm-hmm. how has that been in learning to uh, uh, be a leader of, of your organization? Yeah, I'm having to read a lot of books <laughs> about <laughs> leadership and delegation. And um, it's weird. I went from like, I'm very much a, I think that I'm fairly by nature, I'm fairly control oriented. Like if you break down OCD, like what the root of that is, is really just wanting control over specific certain circumstances. So it's been a learning curve. Like for the first couple of years, um, I did not want to delegate at all. I wanted to do everything myself because I knew that if I handed it off to someone, they wouldn't do as good of a job as me, or at least that's what I thought. Right. <laughs> and I started making a conscious effort. I was burning myself out and I started making a conscious effort to, um, I mean, there's a line, you don't want to hire people who aren't good at their jobs, but also you need to let go and understand that if someone that you delegate to does 65% of the job that you could, but them doing that allowed you to do a hundred percent of something else, then you're still operating at 165% capacity, which is pretty good. So I'm, I'm reading a lot of books about effective delegation and I'm still learning like how to hand a task to someone and trust them. But I will say that, um, mentally it's gotten much easier to delegate and make peace with less than ideal outcomes because I'm learning now that this is part, it's kind of like when you learn how to ride a bike Mm-hmm. and you fall and scrape your knee, you're like, yeah. well, yeah, this is part of learning the thing. I'm not an idiot. So that's kind of the way I'm treating delegation is like I'm I'm kind of expecting some knee scrapes and right. not getting so upset when they happen. Yeah. And also, or at least I've found sometimes that it can really be wonderful when the person you're delegating to does actually a better job than you 
could have done. Yes. And that <laughs> so happens. Have you had that? Yes. If you make the right hires, like mm-hmm. we are very fortunate right now um, because I made two two hires this year so far. It's only been a few months this year and I made two mm-hmm. hires and both of them have been tremendous bets mm-hmm. and they will do they will consistently do something that I would not think to have done. Mm. And they do it so well that they're like, do you have any edits? And I'm like, I literally do not have any (laughs) input. Like, this is great. And that feeling, uh, I heard another CEO this morning on a call say, um, I routinely feel like the least equipped person on my team. And I was like, that's amazing. Because that means you're surrounded by all of these like super high performers. Yep. And that that's just a sign of good hiring. Hiring is very difficult, but when you get it right, you you just feel so you're like overwhelmed with gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I know I for those of you who are have yeah, <laughs> who have been listening to this podcast and you check out the show notes. Um I originally did those myself and then I hired someone to number one, edit the podcast because I was also doing that and then to do the show notes and I was just blown away at how much better they were. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he did like so many more than I was doing because I just didn't have the time either yeah. because I was trying to run my business and do this at the same time. And so it it is so good that you've learned um, to be able to delegate and and are still learning. And, and that's the thing too, is that you're all, we're always going to be learning. Every aspect, as you continue to grow, and and you you know they say even when you, you as you scale and and keep hitting new heights, you're going to have to then learn some new skills to be able to manage that as well. Um, which actually brings me to a question that just occurred to me: What is your goal for this company? Where would you like to see it? Like say in the next two to five years. So I shared before that my dream was never to start a company. Right. Um, so I never wanted to be a CEO. That was not like, I wasn't a kid with a poster on my wall of like some <laughs> business guy, right? I had like a bunch of rock star posters yeah. on my wall. Yeah. So um, my dream has, I think, less to do with what I want the business to look like and more to do with like what I want our impact to look like. And, you know, I do think about the business implications of that. But I think even before I started the business, my focus was on like reach and primarily through integration, like a, a reason why I suffered um, by falling in between the cracks of the continuum of care my whole life was because these providers, every provider wanted to be everything for everybody. Like they want, every provider wanted to be the Walmart of mental health services. Um, and you and I both know that some things you can buy from Walmart and it's no big deal. Right. Some things you probably don't want to buy from Walmart. True. And that's nothing against Walmart. It's just certain places specialize in certain things. So my perspective has always been, you know, Cope Notes, what we do is really, 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 really unique and helpful for people who are, maybe they're not interested in therapy yet. Maybe they're not warmed up to the idea of taking medication. Like these people who are not, inpatient treatment. They don't necessarily have psychology degrees. They're not all, they haven't been, you know, it's, it's for people who need that healthy first or next step into their behavioral health journey. With that being said, my dream for the company is to integrate with other providers who cover the other bases. Okay. I have no dream of being all four bases. 
for someone's mental health journey. I am happy to be that first or second base help. And once they need third or fourth, I want to be so integrated with those other providers that when someone comes to meet them, they know that they can start with Coke Notes. And if someone comes to meet us, I know that once they're past that second base point, we have great partners to hand them off to, to where it's like a seamless transition into that next level of care. Very good. Yeah, that that's smart. That is really a smart way to look at it. Um, one other thing that I, I want to ask you about is now what are, what do you do? Because as I, we, we've said, you know, entrepreneurial, um, you know, starting a, a running a startup and everything is, it's not easy. There's a lot of challenges. So what do you do to be able to keep, you know, your mental health, especially since you've done so much work on it and to be able to stay, you know, keeping yourself going in the best possible way? What do you do? I actually, uh, quite a bit of my life is centered around like helping myself feel mentally healthier. It's a very active, like sometimes people will meet me and go like, oh, well, yeah, you used to have schizophrenia. You don't have it anymore. And it's like, well, it's a very active thing in my life that I work. Like, this is why I can communicate because I actively work on improving my mental health. It's not like it just disappeared and, you know, I'm like working on this. So um, a lot of what I do centers around mental health. I would say that I'm very careful with my sleep um, very, very careful with it. I found that my mental health declines fairly rapidly if my sleep becomes disrupted for an extended period of time. Um, so I do my best. I mean, a lot of times I'm in bed by 10 or 11 and I like it that way. I do not enjoy staying out any later. My sleep is very precious to me. Um, I exercise quite a bit. And then also I go to great lengths to experience things that are not related to work in order to show myself that the world is bigger than what I'm building. So um, like yesterday I went swimming just in a pool, my apartment complex has a pool. I went swimming, super simple thing, but being in the water, feeling the sun, watching kids play with their parents and stuff. I was just like, oh, this world is so big. All my problems are, you know, and I feel the same when I ride my bike or, you know, I, I still play and record music and all of these things just serve to prove to my brain that the world is massive and it is not all about work and you you can think about other things sometimes. Allowing my world to become bigger than my business has been really crucial for me. That's a very good lesson and, and something that I actively seek out as well. In fact, I've been... I just moved into a new apartment. And so I've been riding my bike once a week because it's mm-hmm. like I haven't, I hadn't done it in, in a while. And it was, I forget how much I enjoy it. And I've just got mm-hmm. a silly one speed bike, you know? So, um, but it's like, I feel like a kid again when I'm doing that. And it's, yeah, it's a nice, same. nice break <laughs> from, from the world. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, is there anything, um, Anything maybe you wish you had known um, when you first started out, um, especially with launching the business or anything you wish you'd known? Yeah, I, um, I, this might sound kind of like, I might not love the way this sounds um, because it might not sound as encouraging as I want it to sound, but um, 
it's not supposed to be so easy that you can do it all yourself. Like that's not the way our economy is designed. Um, it is extremely likely that you will need help. And the earlier you seek that help, <laughs> um, the, the sooner you enlist the help of other people and ask for outside input, um, the more trouble you're going to save yourself. I think a lot of my challenges came um, in the form of me being so stubborn and single-minded and controlling to say, you know, I don't need you to do this. I'll do this myself. And I promise you, if your business is successful, it will outgrow you and you will need help. And oftentimes you won't realize that until six months after you really needed the help. So um, ask for help early and often. And if you notice that you haven't asked anybody for help or input um, for like a period of seven days, um, ask a mailman or something or ask your aunt or just like get <laughs> some outside opinion just to get into the habit of humbling yourself. Because if you don't humble yourself, your business definitely will will do that for you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a very good lesson. And, and I know it's one... I've learned and still need to learn sometimes as yeah, well because I still could use some more help than I'm doing right now. And, and I, and I recognize that and it's, it's recognizing it is the first step as they say, right. You have to, mm. <laughs> to be aware. So it's all good. Um, is there anything else that I didn't ask you about or anything else that you think would be important for our listeners and to know about? Just that, um, one misconception around mental health that I always try to address as often as possible um, is this idea that you should really only be taking care of your mental health if you're experiencing a mental health issue. And I just want to challenge that and say, you know, it's kind of like saying, you know, Gloria, you only really need to brush your teeth if you have cavities. Right. Yeah. Like that doesn't make any <laughs> no. sense. If yeah, you have exactly. teeth, you should be brushing them. So my encouragement to everyone listening is like, um, you know, you know, whether or not you, if you use cope notes for it, that's great. But if you're, if you don't have to, this is not a sales pitch. This is like, just do something to prioritize your mental and emotional health on a daily basis. And I, this might sound callous, I don't care how you feel today or tomorrow or yesterday. I care that you do something to protect your brain because yeah. some days you might not feel like protecting it. You still have to do, there are days I don't feel like brushing my teeth. Are you kidding me? It's like <laughs> 10 30 PM and I'm so tired. And I feel like if I brush my teeth, I'll wake myself up, dude, whatever, brush yeah. those teeth proverbially. So exactly. Yeah. My, my point is don't wait mm -hmm. to experience a symptom, start taking care of your brain yesterday. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Ah, this has been wonderful. I have enjoyed talking with you so much. Um, if there's anybody out there who wants to learn more about you, learn more about Cope Notes, where would you suggest they go? Well, if you want to learn about Cope Notes, which is probably the more interesting topic. You can go to copenotes.com. We have all sorts of information there. And like you said, we do have a, a seven-day free trial, no strings attached. You could just type your phone number in, get a free week. Um, if you want to learn about me, you can go to johnnycrowder.com. And if you are a TED Talk person, 
or you want to learn more about like how the brain works. Mm-hmm. I gave a TED talk. Um, so if you just Google Johnny Crowder TED talk or look on YouTube for it, um, I gave a talk about like why your brain does the things that it does. It, I f- I'm biased, but I find it pretty interesting. So if you've listened to this whole podcast and you want to hear more, that might be a good next stop. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love learning about the brain. My my sister had a couple books like you know what makes a good brain great and and things like that and and it's just I find it so fascinating. So um, yes, I encourage all of you to go check out the TED Talk because it's always good to learn more and and why not learn about this lovely organ that we have in our body <laughs> that is just so powerful. So yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. And I wish you luck on all of your endeavors and continued keeping that mental health of yours strong so you can continue to help others too. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gloria. And thank all of you for watching and listening. I really appreciate you. And if you did get some value out of today's episode, I encourage you to share it with a friend. And until next time, as always, I encourage you to go out today and every day and live fully, love deeply, and engage authentically. Did you know that a majority of entrepreneurs tend to discount the importance of their work? And a good number feel their success is simply due to luck. I know from personal experience that self-doubt can keep you from having the kind of life and business you desire. That's why I've created a free guide called Uniquely You, how to move from self-doubt to self-love in four simple steps. To claim your free guide, go to liveloveengage.gift. That's liveloveengage.gift.